this is, uh, you know, that negative thought you've been having, and uh, I just, uh, I just can't let you try and change yourself without a fight, so, uh, go ahead and just turn this show off, okay, and, um, uh, yeah, everything's still fine. This is Blindsight with your host, Bill Lundgren, an AINC original podcast. Is serious? We're not holding back truth. We're here to help you heal and become the best you possible. Here's the chair. Here's the pillow. Here's Bill. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Blindsight. I am, of course, your host, Bill Lundgren. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> not. Uh, this is Jonathan Price. I am the podcast producer. And Bill and I are actually going to switch roles because uh, we have a very interesting conversation coming up. And this conversation w- w- was spurred on by a, a listener uh, who sent us in this question. So before we get into the question, Bill, how was your week? Oh, it's a good week. Uh, I got together with my niece for the, uh, seeing her and her family for the first time in four years, and this is wow. their first trip to Colorado. Nice. And I'm trying to get them to to join all the others that have come and live here and don't know, don't go back home. <laughs> <laughs> did they? Did you guys do anything fun? Yeah, they were up in Estes Park for uh, much of the week. Oh wow! And uh, she she fishes and he bike rides and uh, the the two boys that were there. They uh, you know uh, one's a jazz musician. Whoa! And he in fact is going to uh, perform last night here in Denver and uh, you know they're just having a grand time. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Did she catch anything? Yes, she did, but she said she had to throw it back. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was the first first time she put in a line, she got a fish, and then for the rest of the four days or five days that she was fishing, there was nothing. There wasn't a bite. <laughs> you just need that one to keep you coming back. With the Roy, you got it. You got it. The trout belonged to the Chamber of Commerce up oh, in my uh, gosh. Estes Park. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Keep them coming back. Right. Speaking of the Chamber of Commerce, so I'm going to read this question to you. And yeah. I know this is a topic that is very sensitive, at least in terms of, oh, I don't, the people who work in the industry. And so if, if you're in counseling or in therapy and you're wondering how in the world do these people get paid, they must be making buco bucks. Right. You know, you talked last week about, how much you actually make that was quite eye-opening mm-hmm. and you this question kind of came out of that and was and and spurred this on so i'm going to read this whole question in its entirety and then we're going to dive back and i'm just going to let you kind of take the floor and i'll pepper in some questions but here we go sure. so this is alice hey bill what steps can be taken to improve access to mental health services for individuals with vision loss, particularly in terms of addressing the physical and logistical challenges they may encounter and ensuring the availability of specialized therapists who are trained to work with visually impaired individuals? I was reflecting on this when I experienced therapists that behave or speak in an ableist web excuse me, who speak in an ableist way. And another question is, what do therapists do to ensure they're up to date on the common practices of working with patients who have vision loss? And what can those 
with vision loss seeking a therapist look for? Yeah, so I guess we'll just address the first part of this question. What steps can be taken to improve access to mental health services for individuals with vision loss, particularly in terms of addressing their physical and logistical challenges they may encounter, ensuring the availability of specialized therapists who are trained to work with visually impaired individuals? Well, you really, the question has to be looked at globally mm. in that uh, there are not enough mental health workers out there. Right. This is the thing we're, set, we're beginning to uh, talk about, particularly as a fallout from the uh, uh, pandemic we, we've gone through. Uh, there have been so many more people who need mental health services. So that's right. number one. Number two, uh, in general, we need to, uh, quite frankly, pay mental health workers more than we are now because we've got to make the field attractive. It's hard work. But, Bill, you make over 100000 a year, right? Oh, yeah, a absolutely, somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure somebody is making that money. But the problem is that on, you know, the frontline counselor like myself uh, you know, some of us, <clears throat> one of the things about the field, and this has been true for years, there are a great many people in the field, uh, particularly women in the field who have spouses that support them. Mm. So they have been able to get by with uh, far less money for the time. Interesting. That it takes to do therapy. I mean, we're talking about an hour session or 45 minutes an hour session, right? And you know, a uh, the frontline therapist is not getting that much money per hour, particularly when you include in that uh, the paperwork and you know progress sure. notes and consulting with other people on a particular case. None of that is paid for. It's just right. the hour, and uh, you've got to see a lot of people. And, you know, that gets really tiring. There's only so much you can, you know, you can do in a day and you've got to take a break. So there's an inequity there. Hmm. But and if you work for an organization, the organization has its administrative costs and so forth. And so uh, everybody's taking a bite of the, the money. I know for me, I have malpractice. I work. Uh, a solo, I have malpractice, I pay, mm. uh, had to pay for an office and, right. you know, all, and someone to handle my billing and so forth and so on. And so it becomes a very uh, a low price income uh, source to be a therapist. Second mm. of all, and now it's been a while since I've been, you know, I've got my master's degree, uh, may have changed, I hope, but I kind of doubt okay. that uh, schools are teaching mental health counselors, psychologists, uh, to work with people with disabilities. Mm. And that's disabilities in general. A yeah. lot of that is on-the-job training if you work in an organization that right. works with that population, and you get some good supervision. Sure. But in terms of going in, uh, you know, with, with knowledge to begin with, no, that doesn't happen. You have to have a particular interest mm. 
mm. in working with this population. But the uh, I went to a conference last uh, January. You know, a uh, few people from all over, but it was primarily run in uh, Colorado Springs. And I went around to the tables, the treatment programs, mm. and said, you know, how many, you know, what do you have for people who are blind? Well, they've never even seen a blind person come wow. into their program, except yeah. one, which is actually an out-of-state program. Mm, okay. And uh, they said, in fact, they had someone on staff who was blind and had a guide dog, and sure. but it was not a counselor. It was a uh, uh, another position. So, you know, we don't have that many people out there who feel prepared and then we don't have very few blind therapists like myself. Uh, I know there's one in Littleton. Uh, and, you know, we don't talk that much about being, uh, if you're a therapist, uh, there's some hesitancy to even mm -hmm. admit you have a disability. Sure. And so consequently, you know, waving a flag and said, hey, blind therapist, where are you? <laughs> and I, I've tried that. And I... So far, I have two or three people nationwide. Yeah. Now, I know there are more, but, you know, we just aren't organized. And one of the things that I'm planning to do is to be back at the conference next, same conference next year mm -hmm. and be a speaker. Nice. Uh, I don't know whether they'll do it or not, but, you know, they, and we've talked about it. To be a speaker and talk about disability justice, they've had speakers on LGBT issues and other sure. uh, specialized kinds of things. But uh, people just don't see that many blind people. Therefore, they say, well, there isn't a need. Well, there is, as, mm -hmm. as uh, uh, those in the audience know. But we have to wave the flag. And when someone feels they need some help, they have to ask, the, uh, when they're making the appointment, ask either the agency or the individual they're talking to on the phone, what is their experience of working with people with, uh, right. who are blind? Are blind? That, it's, it's, it's really uh, asking the question rather than just assuming. Sure. Well, and that goes into the second part of the question, is what do therapists do to ensure they're up to date on common practices of working with patients who have vision loss? And what can those vision... And we'll, we'll, so here's the second part of that. And what can those with vision loss seeking a therapist look for? So let's the the first part of that is what do therapists do to ensure they're up to date on common practices? Well, or well this isn't a mandate. This isn't a mandate, and we really? don't we don't have. I'll tell you that I have never received uh, a uh, brochure. See, I got a lot of brochures for you know right. for. Continuing education. Right. Never received anything on disabilities. And I've done some. Really? I've been invited because they know me because I'm a member of an organization or whatever. Right. But, and, and even, uh, for example, I do training at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. Yeah. Other ushers because they are accessibility uh, sensitive. Right. But, Treatment programs, I don't see that kind of sens sensibility. And uh, even in a doctor's office, I have to, every time I go in, I have to go uh, train the nurse that comes out to take me to the office, what she's supposed to do with me. 
Well, then if you go into that same office the next time, you've got to retrain the new nurse. Yeah, yeah. you got it. You got it. Now, you know, the, the practitioner may have the more, but a lot of times I have to explain to the doctor or the practitioner uh, what my needs are as a blind person, because they make assumptions. Right. And that's not always good. So you, the person who gets in there had to do a little educating. Mm-hmm. You think of all these people who are are in the field of mental health as a practitioner, first and foremost. They're, they're getting so little money per dollar that it, it's truly pennies on the dollar when it breaks down. Yeah. And so why, I, I guess my question is, why are there not more people going into coaching and circumnavigating insurance companies and just saying, well, I'm going to offer the same price that I always do, but because I won't have to pay for all these insurances right. and all these other things, I'll just keep my prices the same and make more money. Well, see, what's happening is a lot of people, particularly after they get uh, some experience, uh, say, okay, no more insurance. Let me let me explain something that's global, not just in terms of people with blindness, in terms of the financing. So many therapists refuse, mental health workers refuse insurance because the paperwork and everything else is not worth it and right. how much they paid. But for someone who can't afford uh, a let's say 175 to mm. some therapist at 250 dollars is a pop. Uh, the that makes it difficult for them to go include therapy, even though they may need it, to include it in their budget. Right. So that's where the insurance company they see the insurance company is a lifeline, but not realizing a they still have to pay some. Sure. Uh, the therapist is uh, is really uh, not able to make as much as he or she may need. Uh, and in, in addition to that, uh, the, the person may or may not be getting the kind of services that they need. Uh, well, right, you're handicapped on all levels. On all levels, right. And if you work in an agency or you come to an agency for mental health services, and don't forget, so many people now in trying to economize have a high deductible. Right. So they may not even be able to, well, to, to uh, pay the insurance rate for a client for, right. uh, uh, for their services. Sure. And have to wait until they reach the deductible. So, for people who are in that mid-range or low income, for that matter, that's where, you know, they run into trouble. Uh, right. And the system just isn't able to handle. Uh, it had trouble handling the emergency. <laughs> right. So when we talk about people with special needs, uh, certainly to be, able, you know, if you're in a rural area, uh, the chances of you finding a someone with that, uh, particular expertise, you may you may have to encourage that person to do some study or find out mm -hmm. or uh, at least do some reading. And as I was saying, if I get a chance to speak to the 
uh, group <coughs> uh, in uh, uh, later on, uh, I will give the basic training on disabilities and what right. therapists have to do to help things to 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 work. And also try to get people, especially the academics, to encourage people with disabilities, particularly blindness, to come into their program, get their degree, and be licensed. Because a licensing, you know, the licensing exam will be, uh, if you need it, to be uh, given orally. Mm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm actually licensed as a psychologist in Pennsylvania. Uh, back in the days when they were taking master's level, I took that exam at the time because of my vision. Uh, they provided it in large type and more oh. time to take it. And then when I came in Colorado, I had to re- retake the exam, mm-hmm. and I had a reader who uh, gave me. You know, I couldn't see the paper at all. So she and I went into another room and I took the test. Mm. And interesting, I always tell people this, uh, because of a screw up, I didn't know I was supposed to take the exam at a certain time. (laughs) And so I got a notice to report uh, a week before the exam was to be taken. And I hadn't done any study or whatever. But I and I was told I would lose the money, so I figured, why not take the exam? And when I got the letter uh, after the exam, I had to put it through my screen reader three times to, to make sure the letter said that I passed the exam. I was looking wow. for the word not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Come on, very give yourself a little bit more credit than that. <laughs> but, uh, but the thing was, I was able to get through it. And they right. gave me more time as well. So there's provisions that are available on the state sure. level. Yeah. But in terms of people who actually are front line, uh, you're going to have to be a very, uh, be very aware mm. and and check with them. And if the therapist is honest, he, he or she is going to tell you what uh, experience they have. Right. Or they may know somebody who has more experience and that's fine. Yeah. But that's that's kind of in your ballpark. The the uh, person who wants the counseling is going to have to be a little more assertive. Right. And say, OK, this is what my needs are. Well, it's, then, I'm glad you brought that up because the last part of this question is what can those with vision loss seeking a therapist look for? Well, I think they have to look for a therapist at least who's open to talking and making a decision with you as to how much the uh, fact of the vision loss is affecting the reason you're coming into uh, therapy. For example, mm-hmm. there are some people who are comfortable with their blindness. They, it's not an issue for them, but there are other things Right. And uh, the going dealing with the blindness is is going to take them down a rabbit hole that is necessary. Sure. Now, on the other hand, what I think people also have to pay attention to is that there is a lot of enabling around blindness. Yeah. There are people, you know, family members to who say, for example, well, if 
if I were blind or losing my vision, I would drink too. <laughs> and they allow the person with blindness leeway to exhibit some alcoholic behavior, mm -hmm. but, you know, say, oh, well, that's okay because the person is blind. And this is enabling is, right. uh, is deadly. Well, Penn had somebody the other day tell her that, you know, if I was blind, I'd kill myself. Right. Like, come on. Really? Right. You, you, you would rather not live than be blind? Yeah, exactly. And so that that part of the prejudice that we deal with, and we have to make sure that our therapist doesn't hold that kind of uh, enabling behavior. Well, and what's and, interesting, so Evan and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about, like you were talking about the enabler, when people who are blind enable themselves, and they start taking advantage of right. that neediness and that... Um, that there are people who, like Evan and Penn, who specifically say, I don't want help. I want to be independent and treat me like I'm not blind. Well, while there's some some deep truth to that, and that, that may be a very honest place, uh, people will definitely take advantage of that. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. you know, when you find a therapist who's going to call you out on some of that stuff, Exactly, and, and and take whatever you're struggling with, albeit if, if it's just blindness, you've gone through the blindness journey and you either have a very low vision uh, diagnosis or you're completely blind. There's there's underlying problems as well. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, it was a very interesting conversation about, you know, enabling both yourself and being around people who are enabling you. Exactly. And, and that's true of any uh, physical uh, disability, but I think particularly blindness, uh, you know, I have a bias. I'm blind. And, right. you know, I've lived with it for years. I know, uh, you know, I know when I'm milking it. Ah, yes. And, you know, I, I will do that. Uh, for example, when my niece was here, we walked to a nearby restaurant and I, I let I have a dog and he right. wants to do do the job, but by holding on to her elbow, and her mother is blind uh, also oh, okay. with the same condition, but holding her elbow that enabled her and I to walk together mm. and fill each other in sure. on what's going on. Yeah. Now. Theoretically, uh, you know, as a blind person, I should be marching with my dog up ahead and all that right. kind. Of, no, this is um, this enabled uh, connection with my niece, and it was right. very necessary. So I made a, you know, and she also she's not an enabler because she had dealt with her mother and so forth. Sure. But so everything you well, have to it, you have to watch it. Because it's, yeah, and the the intention of your heart has to be in the right place. And when you yeah, when you're exactly. when you're just being lazy and you're sitting on the couch and woe is me and all right, that garbage, right, right. You don't you don't need that. That's that's not beneficial for everybody. But in a case right. like yours, when you're taking the elbow of somebody in who is actually helping you do what you need, there are um, unintended good consequences right. from that. The connection, right. and there's also the more physical, than just the helping, right. right? Right. There's the physical touch. There's the right. in, I guess, the intimacy of being able to have a conversation in such close proximity 
Yeah, that, exactly. That that's a benefit for both of you. She's helping it. you. You're getting the help you need, and there just happens to be, um, I guess, icing on the cake, if you yeah. will. Yeah, but the the other thing too is that because she had to deal with her mother's blindness. Uh, she knows well enough to ask if I need assistance. Right. Or do I, you know, do you want to take my elbow? Sure. And that gave, that gave, kept me in control. Yes. And also using the elbow, what you have, and I get this in doctor's offices, the nurse grabbed my arm and dragged me kicking and screaming into the office. Mm. Well, that's a sad exaggerating a little bit, but the thing is, I, the control is taken away from me, and that's right. the kind of thing where you have to stop somebody. Yep. You know, given, even though you're there because you're emotional distress, you have to take care of yourself and say, okay, no, that isn't going to work. May I have your elbow? Or, right. You know, whatever the, the comfort. But it's kind of, and it's also good practice and assertiveness for you. Mm. To always remember, I'm not really as helpless as some people may may feel. Absolutely. And it's also, you know, you can say to the therapist, look, uh, I just want to let you know X. That person, mm. your, your staff member, needs to have some training. Yeah. And, you know. But in your question to coaching, it's a very good one, except, uh, I, you know, there's not that many coaches. Right. Uh, blindness coaches around. I'm not even sure that there's certification no, for blindness coaches. Well, and when we had Linda McCullough on the last right. few weeks, you know, she's, it's not a licensed, you know, practice. Right. And, you know, to her right. point, she brought up that the, the there is training around it. You just don't roll out of bed when you're a kid and think, oh, I'm going to be a disability coach. Right. Or I'm going to be, you know, you don't have that training exactly. in and of itself. There are so far few people who are willing to go through, you know, I guess a hyper uh, specialized training when it comes exactly. to that. I mean, even me myself, when I came on to AINC, uh, I had to be trained in a manner of speaking. But for me, it was a... Uh, like I watched a lot of YouTube videos about, you know, mm -hmm. helping guide and how to be in that environment. And the willingness to learn is something that I've always had, but I've loved being in this community. I, I love this community now. And it was a community that I honestly did not have a very clear or good understanding of. And you're like everybody else. We don't have a clear understanding because we haven't done uh, enough advocating for ourselves. And I think the organizations uh, are, are trying their best. Yeah. But uh, until people understand there's a need. Now, one of the things I keep pointing to is that people with disabilities in general, but I haven't seen breakout figures for blindness, but in general have a, th a three times higher rate of addiction yep. problem yep. than the average population. Sure. And that's, that's a serious issue, but it's one that you don't, when I go through, as I did last January, and find treatment programs mm. that have never dealt with anybody like that, then, and I have several treatment pr programs who... Uh, I've been talking to about okay, what do what do we need? What do we need to do? How do how can we best 
help yeah. and be prepared to help. And that's, but again, that I, you know, it's now that I'm retired, I've got the time to kind of see what I can do to uh, change that. But there's got to be a lot of other people out there doing the teaching yeah. of people to work with uh, disabilities. With, with, uh, and, and I got invited uh, once. Uh, one of the uh, the colleges here in Denver uh-huh. to give a, a lecture to social workers on disabilities, and that's the only training the uh, the student got. Wow! And that was a one, three, two hour lecture. If you can imagine me talking for two hours, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why you get paid the big bucks, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, but man. that's, you know, again, that's that, a volunteer thing, but it, somebody's got to do it. That's right. And, you know, we'll see, see the receptivity. But because people with disabilities hesitate to even go to a therapist for mental health, uh, you know, they people, particularly in private practice or, or group now, uh, they don't uh, know that there's such a need. Sure. And you, we've got to let them know. On the other hand, uh, because people with blindness, uh, only about one-third of them have jobs and income, Yeah, that leaves people with very little income, and unless they're support, supported by others, many of whom are on Medicare or Medicaid, yep. Right. And that means even less money. Right. And so where do you find the therapist that will meet that need? Right. And, you know, a program to meet that need. And we have trouble getting enough therapists to accept Medicare and Medicaid. Well, you're talking about a very small pond of therapists to begin with. And then you take away the insurance and that pond gets even smaller. Then you add the fact that just the Medicaid, you're talking about maybe two or three therapist i know you and beth gustin are are blind therapists and, and she works more with grief and you work more with right. i'm assuming i think addiction and family counseling and that right. kind of stuff right a couple but, of counseling that kind of yeah thing. right right and <laughs> when you have such a small pond you're very limited in in who you can talk to what you can talk to and so i think the the training is definitely the way to go and 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 just having a willingness to open up and say, hey, look, I, I don't know, I, I need to work with people who have disabilities, and I right. like everybody has a brain for the most part, and you know, <laughs> no <the>, comment, <laughs> present company excluded. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, you, you've got to be able to have a a spirit of humility when it comes to saying, I don't know, uh, either one if you're a patient. I don't know who to go to and just kind of open yourself up to that. And it could be a situation where you are both going to learn something from each other. You've never been to therapy and that therapist has never worked with somebody with a disability. So you have a perfect learning opportunity right in front of you. Yeah. Everybody has a brain. Go get some help. Yeah. And you see that, and again, (laughs) you know, people say, Oh, I have all these physical difficulties. Why, you know, I can't even handle that. How can, you know, what is this mental (laughs) health thing? I need to go for mental health or what I have depression. No, you know, again, enabling. 
I'm, I'm depressed because I'm physically disabled. And you right. say, no, you're not. You're, <laughs> you're dis- your uh, depression may be something totally different. Right. And exactly one right. of the things, again, I have to say, we have a very high rate of sexual trauma yes. of people with disability, far higher than the population. And a lot of times people with sexual trauma block it, but it comes right. out in other ways. Absolutely. And the idea of going to a therapist about a sexual trauma when you're trying to deal with just having that disability of blindness or whatever, yeah, it, it ain't easy. Well, it, there's it, a mental... There's even a mental strength to admitting that you need mental help, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those what comes first, the chicken or the egg situation. Well, you got to have yeah. the mental fortitude to be able to say, hey, I need help. Or the encouragement yes. of others to say, look, you need to see a therapist. Here's here's how we'll pay for it. Or here's where you can go for the resource. Instead of waiting until there's a crisis, yeah. And, you know, where you start to see some signs that there's some difficulty here. Yeah. Uh, but so often, as we know from gun violence and everything else, we're just suddenly yep. people are talking about the people, about need for mental health counseling. Yep. And they say, duh, you know, <laughs> those of us in the field saying, duh, we've been right, telling yeah. you that. Yeah. But, well, it also, you, you've got to have that circle of people around you who you trust. And building that circle of trust with people is way more difficult when you have a disability, including blindness, right. that, you know, you just may not be open to at the moment. And so, well, that's a whole other nep- an episode well, for talking about circle of trust. Well, you, yeah, it, well, it goes with, you know, we talked several uh, sessions ago about loneliness. Right. And as your vision is deteriorating, it's easier just to create your own little cocoon mm. and and really avoid people because you you may feel a sense of shame because of your blindness sure. or it's just so much effort to get out and be with other people. Mm-hmm. And to what we're talking the you know the flip side, teaching other people how to help us in an affirming way instead of a uh, demeaning way. Right. Yeah. And, sure. you know, and so we isolate uh, in in order to just avoid all of that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure this horse is pretty well beaten. Um, I'm, I'm very glad that we've been able to have this conversation. And if everybody has, if anybody has a question, we'd love to read it on the air. So thank you for submitting that question. That's such a valuable thing. So you can visit us at aincolorado.org slash podcast dash guest, and you can ask your question there. You can get more information about AIN and listen to all of our other podcasts. If you are listening to this, uh, I guess this is after the hike. So this is coming out after the hike. Thank you for coming on. And it was, it was such a fun hike and and we're going to obviously do it again next year. And so keep an eye out for that. And we've got some big events coming up. So we'll keep you guys updated as those events become available. Um, Bill, any closing remarks from you? Well, I hope that people will hear what I'm saying and not be afraid to go if they feel like some mental health counseling uh, will help. 
uh, because you don't have to suffer. And it's not like you go into psychoanalysis five days a week for the right. next 20 years. Right. They're, they're short range. And if you work for a corporation, check out employee profession, assisted professional, mm -hmm. which is a service that in, uh, companies offer to employees for short term uh, counseling or evaluation at no cost to you. Wow. Or to a family member. Wow. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Bill, for letting me take your seat for a week. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. And it was fun chatting with you and everybody out there. Um, find find that person that you can rely on. It's it's not a, you talk to a therapist and that's your therapist for the rest of your life. You got to find the one that works for you. Sure. And, exactly. and there's a therapist for every person. So don't be afraid to say this person is not working out and I want a, a different one. That's okay. Your mental health is the most important thing. Um, so go out and find your therapist. Thank you guys so much for joining us this week on Blindsight. We will talk to you guys later.